You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man is a two-time felon. I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Welcome back to the Freedom Pack podcast. Today on the show, we are joined by Hal Elrod. Hal is somebody that we've wanted to get on the show since we began the show back in 2018. And today, it's finally come full circle. Hal is an American author, keynote speaker, and success coach. He is the author of the best-selling book, The Miracle Morning, which I read a few years back and I have recommended on this show since. He's also the author of The Miracle Equation, founder of The Miracle Morning book series, and is also the host of the Achieve Your Goals podcast. In this episode, we discuss morning routines, what they are, why you should want one, and the six habits to create a morning routine that Hal has discovered is used by leading CEOs, movie stars, and top, top performers. As well as this, we also discuss Hal's battles with death, Hal's battled cancer, and when he was 21, he was actually dead for six minutes. So this is a very interesting conversation. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with the fascinating Hal Elrod. Hal, such a pleasure, man. Welcome to the show. Joe, thank you for having me, man. It is an honor to be here. And everybody listening, uh, it's, it's great to uh, connect with all of you. Thank you for listening. Man, so I came into your work many years ago when my life was at a bit of a chaotic period. I wanted to sort of get a head start on the day. So then I found your book, The Miracle Morning. So I want to delve into this. So could we just sort of touch on this book? What is, you know, in your um, estimations, what is a, a morning routine? Why is this so important? And then let's delve in from there. Yeah. So I, growing up, I was not a morning person, right? And not even just growing up. I mean, for until I was uh, 20, late, mid to late 20s, I was not a morning person. And in 2008, when the United States economy crashed, uh, I crashed with it. You know, I lost over half of my income. I couldn't pay my mortgage. My house was foreclosed on by the bank. Uh, my body, I, I canceled my gym membership. I got in the worst shape of my life physically. In fact, my body fat percentage had tripled. And uh, it was really, I was just, I was in a really low point. And because I was losing, I, I was financially incapable of supporting myself. Uh, I got really depressed and really scared. And a series of events led me uh, down this path. A friend of mine gave me some advice and he said, Hal, if you need to exercise every morning, and listen to some form of personal growth. He said, so every morning, get the blood and oxygen flowing to your brain so that you feel better. You have more energy, more clarity. And he said, while you're in that heightened physical state, listen to some, you know, while, go for a run and listen to like a self-help book. And he said, apply what you learn when you get home. That was his advice to me. And it felt too elementary. I go, number one, I hate running. And uh, number two, like, can, can you just give me like a strategy on how I could make a website that would make me some money or something, right? Like we all kind of want the easy way. 
And uh, he said, no, he goes, you got to go become the person that you need to be that is capable of attracting and creating and sustaining the success that you want in your life. And I went, fine. Okay. All right. And the next morning I went for a, you can't even call it a run. Like I wasn't a runner, but I was kind of like jogging, you know, bit disgruntled. Why am I doing this? And I heard a quote from Jim Rohn that morning that changed my entire life. Jim Rohn said, and this is worth writing down if you're listening. This quote is fundamental in how I, I live. Your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. I'll say it one more time. Your level of success will rarely exceed your level of personal development because success is something you attract by the person you become. And when I heard that, it was a gut check. And I really stopped and I thought, Am I dedicating time each day to my personal development in such a way that I am becoming the person that I need to be that is capable of creating and sustaining the success that I want in my life? And the answer was no. You know, I, I was at that point, I'd wake up around 7 a.m. I would eat some breakfast and I would go in my office and I would just literally work until like 9 p.m. And, and until my eyes couldn't look at the computer anymore. And then I would go to bed and rinse and repeat, maybe watch a little TV in the evening. And I decided I'm going to go home and I'm going to, I'm going to research and I'm going to figure out what would be the ultimate personal development ritual that I could do every day. What would be the best of the best of the best so that I can quickly become the person that I need to be that's capable of creating the success that I want in my life. And if you're listening to this right now, I, I would, I would pause here. And I would ask you to consider, are, do you have a disciplined daily personal development ritual that is designed to strategically enable you to become the person that you need to be in terms of your knowledge and your habits and your mindset and your skills and your capabilities that, it, that, that makes it so that you can easily and consistently create the results you want in your life? And Again, for me, it was a no. And so I just did a little bit of research online on Google and I came up with six practices, the best, most timeless personal development practices in the history of humanity that have been practiced by world-class, world-famous people for centuries. It was meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. And two things stopped me from, almost stopped me from implementing this. Number one, I thought, I can't do all of these. <laughs> like, which one should I do? That was the first thing. Which one is the best? And I couldn't figure it out. I kept going online, looking at articles. Which one's the best? I don't know. They're all, depending on who you ask, equally as effective. The second challenge was, I thought, none of these are new. Like, we've been conditioned in society to, we want the new iPhone and the new app and the new this and the new season of, right? Like the word new is one of the most influential words in human language. We want what's new. And I'm going meditation, like that's not going to make me money. Journaling, that's not going to make me money. And at that time, that's what I needed. Like I was struggling financially. And then the epiphany came when I went, wait a minute. The world's most successful people in all walks of life, including these millionaires and billionaires and CEOs and, 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 and Olympians, they all swear by these practices. And the second epiphany was, what if I did all of them? 
what if I woke up tomorrow and I, instead of one, what if I just did all six of the most timeless, proven personal development practices in the history of humanity? And I went, I'll just do 10 minutes each. I'll wake up an hour earlier. That was the hard part because I'm like, I'm not a morning person, but damn it, I'm tired of settling for mediocrity in my life. I'm tired of not living the life of freedom that I truly want and I feel like I deserve, but I need to earn it. And so I thought I'm gonna wake up an hour earlier and I'll do 10 minutes of silence, meditation, 10 minutes of affirmations, 10 minutes of visualization, 10 minutes of exercise, 10 minutes of reading, and 10 minutes of journaling or what I now call scribing. And these six practices, by the way, organize into an acronym. If you want a visual, these are the savers, S-A-V-E-R-S, silence, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. I woke up the next morning. I was excited, Joe. I was like a kid on Christmas. You know, even though I was waking up an hour earlier, I was like, I couldn't wait to try these practices and combine them all. And at the end of that hour, even though I was a total newbie at meditation and visualization, like I sucked, you know, I didn't know how to do them. They were new to me. I still felt incredible. For the first time in six months of a spiraling depression, I felt confident, inspired, positive, optimistic, and I was gaining the knowledge and the mindset that I needed. And I went, wow, if I do this every single day, it's only a matter of time before I become the person that I need to be that is qualified and capable of creating everything I want for my life. And I'll close the story out like this. I was thinking this would probably be six to 12 months. And in less than two months, I more than doubled my income. I didn't change careers. I was a coach. I just figured out through my morning practice how to get the clarity, the confidence, and the strategy to double my coaching practice. So I doubled my income in two months. I went from being in the worst shape of my life physically to committing to run a 112-kilometer double marathon when I had never run before, and I, I ended up completing that. And my depression went away in the first day because when you have – true clarity and optimism that overrides and transcends depression. Depression comes from a feeling of hopelessness for the most part. I'm not a doctor. I'm not trying to diagnose clinical depression, but in general, when you don't see results in your life that are inspiring, you start to feel discouraged and you lose hope. And that's where I had gotten to. But on day one of my first miracle morning, even though it wasn't called the miracle morning, it wasn't a book idea. This practice, I felt inspired. And if I, I knew that if I did this every day, it was only a matter of time before I turned my life around. And the, the tying a bow on the story, you know, I decided I needed to share this with the world because it changed my life so profoundly. Um, it took three years for me to write a book. I self-published The Miracle Morning in 2012. Now it is published in 37 languages. Um, it's, it's sold over two and a half million copies. And then you mentioned, I think, um, the Miracle Morning movie is a documentary that just came out last month. And, and, and the mission of the Miracle Morning is, is truly to elevate the consciousness of humanity one person and one morning at a time. And it's incredible. Like, it blows my mind. Every day I, I see thousands of people posting about how the Miracle Morning helped them achieve this goal or that goal. It helped them lose weight. It helped them overcome depression. It helped, I mean, these incredible results. Um, and, uh, and I just, I'm in awe that 
you know, it's, 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 it's so much bigger than me. It's this global community of people, millions of people that are waking up every day and caring enough about themselves to dedicate that time to become the best version of, of who they are. And, and so, yeah, so I'm, I'm with all that, it's a long way of saying uh, I'm grateful to be here and, and be able to share this message with you. And I really hope people, uh, if you're listening, I hope that you walk away today with something you can immediately put into place, whether it's the miracle morning or something else I share to see results in your life beyond what you may believe right now are possible. And that can happen faster than you can even imagine. Um, I remember when I first read uh, the miracle morning, my co-host Lewis that I, I host this show with, I remember I was in my third year of university and I, it, man, for the last few months, really revolutionized things for me and i would love to know because when i first read the book i like you i was not a morning person i 100 i would always say i do my best work at night you know and it turned out that that was just a way of procrastinating it was a way of convincing myself that i don't want to get up through the day what would you say right now to the people that are listening to this that say i would love to do this but i'm just not a morning person yeah, I love that question. So the first thing I would say is join the club. You know, um, I did a not, not only because me personally, like me and you, Joe, both we weren't morning people until the miracle morning. Yeah, I, I got asked during an interview a couple of years ago. Um, the, the, the interviewer said, what, Hal, what percentage of the miracle morning community, these millions of people, do you have any idea what percentage of them were already morning people when they read the book. So it was an easy transition. They just had to switch from, you know, checking social media or watching the news or checking email. And they just did the miracle morning instead, but they already like to get up early. He said, what percentage fit that camp? And what percentage had never been a morning person before, didn't believe they were or even could be a morning person. So it was a radical, you know, even overcoming of a limiting belief. And I didn't know the answer. I thought, I have no idea, but I, I, I should know that. So we surveyed our community, uh, which back then was in the hundreds of thousands. It, it wasn't in the millions yet, I don't think. But I was, I was really pleasantly surprised by the answer. 72% of Miracle Morning practitioners said they had never been a morning person in their entire life until they read the book. The book was the, the, the game changer for them to become a morning person. And I want to share something for anybody listening that I think a big part of why it was, why that was, there's a chapter in the book called the five step snooze proof wake up strategy. Um, it's actually, I think it's the shortest chapter in the book. It's literally like five pages, you know, maybe six pages, but it teaches you five really simple steps. If you've never been a morning person, how can you make it easy to wake up and beat that snooze button in the morning. And I want to give everybody what I believe is the most important of those five steps. One of the five, move your alarm clock as far across the room as you possibly can, or even in another room where you can hear it. Here's why. Think about this. Most of us keep our alarm clock on our bedside table. And when the alarm goes off in the morning, while we're still half asleep, maybe even 90% asleep, we reach over and we, turn, we, we, we fumble and turn off the alarm clock and we go right back to sleep. We don't even wake up for it, right? We just, we, we're like a zombie turning it off. Your level of discipline and willpower in the first few seconds that the alarm clock goes off are slim to none for me too. And in fact, when I fall asleep with my phone on my alarm clock, like, like at a hotel or something, 
I'll snooze through it in the morning and I won't even realize it. And I'll wake up and go, damn it, I didn't do my miracle morning. So for me, I keep my alarm clock on my bathroom counter. And when the alarm goes off, if you have to stand, get out of bed, stand up, walk across the room to turn it off, you are a hundred times, or maybe let's say at least 10 times more awake than you would have been if you were just fumbling in the dark over to turn your alarm off. Now, for me, there's strategy in why I keep it in the bathroom. It's because it's right next to my sink and I've got a full glass of water there. Actually, I'll give you guys a second step. Brush your teeth, wash your face, right? Drink a full glass of water as soon as you can because when we wake up in the morning, we're dehydrated. We haven't drank any water for six, seven, eight hours, however long you slept. So by default, we are dehydrated. So one, and, and dehydration causes fatigue. So one of the first things you have to do is you have to you know, drink that full glass of water and rehydrate. So for me, I have to get out of bed, turn the alarm off. So you got to do that, move it across the room. And then from there, commit that when it goes off, I'm not going back to bed. I'm going to brush my teeth, maybe splash some water on my face, jump in a shower if you need to, put on your workout clothes and immediately head. Don't even look at that bed. It's tempting. Don't look at that bed. That's like a cigarette smoker staring at a pack of cigarettes. Like it's going to suck you in. Just walk out your bedroom, go to your living room where you have your journal and your book and everything you need to do your miracle morning. And then you're ready to go. Yeah. And I completely swear by this. So I would love to double click on the savers routine, which you described. Could we go deeper on the savers, the sort of six principles of the miracle morning? Yeah. And I'll, Thank you for that. I'll share with you, uh, and I want to give my wife credit. I was writing the Miracle Morning book, and I had these six practices, meditation, affirmations, visualization, exercise, reading, and journaling. And my wife, I was frustrated one day writing the book, and she goes, what's wrong? And I said, I've got these six practices, but they're not connected in any way. There's no rhyme or reason, and I can't figure out. I said, you know, these other authors, like Robert Kiyosaki, has like the cash flow quadrant, <laughs> and Stephen Covey's got the seven habits of highly effective people they always have like a system and i got these hodgepodge six practices she goes why don't you get a thesaurus and see if any <laughs> words are interchangeable and you could form it into an acronym that people could remember and thank god she did that because i don't know if the miracle morning would be what it is without this really simple memorable acronym because people literally they go yeah in my head i go okay silence great and they meditate for five or ten minutes then they go what's next a affirmations okay then they pull up their affirmations and they go, okay, what's next? Oh, V visualization, right? It makes it so easy to run through. So I'm going to give all of you, I'm going to run you through these and give you some actionable strategies for these practices because there, there is a problem with many of the practices that are in the savers. And that's that a lot of people view these as either woo woo, right? Which is like, you know, I want to create results. I don't want to sit there and meditate for five minutes. I need, I could be productive during that time, right? So for me, I'm a very results-oriented person. So I've taken all of the savers and, and gone, how can I make these really practical and results-oriented so they actually direct my subconscious mind and my conscious behavior in a way that produces results? For example, if I'm doing affirmations on finances, on making money or something, I don't just want to feel better about making money. If I'm doing affirmations on having better health or better relationships, I don't just want to feel better in the moment. I want to actually see tangible results in my life. 
So the first practice is silence, right? That's the essence savers. That's your meditation or your prayer or your deep breathing, whatever form of silence you want to practice. For most people, it's meditation. Now, meditation, there are countless different styles of meditation. I'm going to teach you my favorite that is practical and results-oriented. I call this emotional optimization meditation. And it's where you simply ask yourself, which emotional state would best serve me? Now, it could be today or in this moment. It could be at this time in my life. Let's say you're going through a very stressful time in your life. Well, then maybe a, a feeling of peace or gratitude or calm, right? Might, might be that's what you need right now. So ask yourself, what emotional state would best serve me? I'm going to use gratitude as an example, right? So just feeling, hmm, just feeling really deeply that place inside of you that's just grateful for everything in your life, right? Joy. And most of us don't access that every day. Most of us access the opposite state, which is like complaining and I don't like this and I wish the world were different and <laughs> I wish I were further along, right? There's all these negative states that we sit in all day. And the point of this is you're choosing the states that would best serve you. And then you're going to meditate on those states for five or 10 minutes. And you're going to literally create new neural pathways in your brain and then reinforce those so that these emotional states become your default. You're choosing how you want to experience your life in terms of how you feel about everything. So gratitude. So the first step is choose the emotion that would best serve you. The second is ask yourself or think of what's a stimulus, what's a memory or a thought uh, or an experience that gets me into that state. So for me, gratitude would be my kids. Just the thought of my kids makes me, it like fills me with gratitude and joy and I smile, right? Yeah. So the thought of my kids is the stimulus that brings about the emotional state of gratitude. Then once you get into that state, you set your timer for however long you want to meditate, five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, whatever. And you just sit in that state. You, you marinate, if you will, in that emotional state. And what you're doing is you're acclimating to that state. You're making it more of a default state of being. And then throughout the day, you can simply, because what I'll do, by the way, is I put my hand on my heart when I get into that, whatever state it is, or, or if it's confident, sometimes I'll like, I'll, I'll, I'll clench my fist in like a really powerful way. <laughs> so use some sort of physical, this is like a bonus tip, but some sort of phys physical move like the hand on the heart for gratitude. And then throughout the day, if I'm feeling stressed or whatever, I'll put my hand on my heart, I'll close my eyes, I'll imagine myself sitting in my living room meditating, and I'll immediately be able to bring back that state of gratitude. And you can do this for confidence or focus, or you, know, you name the emotional state. You can choose it, you can embody it, and then you can acclimate to it and make it part of how you show up and feel and live as your default ways of being. And eventually when you do this enough, you don't even need the stimulus in the morning. Like for me, I don't necessarily need to even think of my kids now. I've practiced this for so long that I can just literally say, feel gratitude. And my body knows how to feel it, right? I just go there immediately. So that's the power of emotional optimization meditation. Any questions on that? Or I can dive into affirmations.
Yeah, let's delve into affirmations. I'm really interested, but to, to really give people a practical framework to go through. Yeah. Affirmations are my favorite of the sabers. And they're also, I believe, the most misunderstood. And, and what I mean by that, well, first of all, when people ask, do you have a favorite of the sabers? I feel like the politically correct answer would be no, they're all equally important, right? And they are, and I've had other people say, oh, visualization is my favorite. I resonate the most with journaling, right? But for me, here's the thing. Affirmations, I believe the biggest problem and where people have not found them effective that have tried is that for decades, maybe centuries, we've been taught two very ineffective way of applying affirmations. Number one, we're taught to state something as if it were true, even if it were, is not true. For example, if you want to um, lose weight and be thinner, you're taught to say, I am thin, or I weigh 140 pounds, right? If you want to be wealthy, you go, I am a millionaire, right? And, and the, the idea is that you're supposed to fake it till you make it, trick yourself into believing it. And while there may be some value to that strategy, I don't believe that lying to yourself is ever the optimum strategy. I think the truth will always prevail. If you say, I am blank, something that you're not yet, your subconscious is going to call you out and go, no, you're not. You know, and then you're fighting internally going, shut up. I'm, I'm doing my affirmations. And it's like, you're like, I'm a millionaire. And it goes, you're not even a thousandaire, man. You're like, <laughs> stop it. I'm trying to right, enter this inner conflict because you're, 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 the truth will always prevail. The second problem with affirmations is we're taught to use this flowery passive language. You might have heard an affirmation around finances that goes something like this. I am a money magnet. Money flows to me effortlessly and in abundance, right? Ask anyone who has built a fortune and they will tell you that is not how it works, right? They didn't sit there and, and just think about being a magnet and wait for money to show up. No, they got clarity on what they were going to create. They, they created something of value. They were then produced or, or reciprocated in the form of monetary compensation, right? Like, so using an affirmation that promises some magical result independent of any effort on your part, again, is, is delusional. So I'm going to give you guys and gals three steps to create affirmations that once again are practical and that are results oriented to produce tangible, measurable outcomes. Step number one, affirm what you're committed to. Affirm what you're committed to. Don't say I am thin. Say, I'm committed to becoming thin. I'm committed to losing weight. Don't say, I am a millionaire. Say, I'm committed to becoming a millionaire. If you're not happy, and this for me, I dealt with a year ago. I went, I was on chemotherapy from having cancer. Uh, I'd been on for three years and my brain started deteriorating. I could not think straight. I felt anxiety. It was, it was, it was, it was the worst time in my life. And I was not happy. I was miserable. In fact, I, I had literally forgot what it felt like to be happy because I, was, I, was, I felt that way for so long. And I didn't delude myself and say, I'm happy. I am happy, right? Because that was not true. In fact, that made me feel more depressed because I would go, no, I'm, like, I'm not happy. Like, you know. But saying I am committed to becoming the happiest I have ever been, that was true. And every time I affirmed it, I reinforced my commitment to do whatever it took. And that kept me going when I felt like giving up. 
I'd pull up my affirmations and go, no, I can't give up because I am committed to becoming the happiest I have ever been. No matter what, there is no other option. That's how I phrase my affirmations. I am committed to blank, blank being whatever outcome you want. No matter what, there is no other option. So that's step one. Affirm what you're committed to. Step two, affirm why it is meaningful to you. Affirm why it is a must. When I had cancer, my affirmation said, I am committed to beating cancer and living to be 100 years old alongside Ursula and the kids, no matter what, there is no other option, right? My wife and kids. The second part, the why. I had five different whys, and I encourage you to have more than one if it's true for you. These are, this is the fuel that will drive you and fuel the motivation that you need to follow through even when you don't feel like it. So number one, I said, I am committed to beating cancer for Ursula because I promised her forever and a day. I am committed to beating cancer for my mom because she doesn't deserve to lose another child. I am committed to beating cancer for my dad because he gave up everything to save my life. I'm committed to beating cancer for Sophie and Halston, my kids, because they need my love, leadership, and guidance for the rest of my life. And I am committed to beating cancer for myself because I deserve to live a long, happy, and healthy life. And last but not least, I am committed to beating cancer for the millions of other people who are themselves battling cancer or some other disease and don't, they have not been blessed with the knowledge and the resources that I have. And they desperately need my love, my leadership, and my support. That, those were my whys. And when I didn't feel like it, when I was sick from chemotherapy, I read those affirmations every single day. And they gave me the fuel that I needed to give it another day and to keep going and keep moving forward, not just for myself, but for my wife and my kids and my mom and my dad and humanity. And I encourage you to find reasons that are so compelling that the first part of your affirmations, what you're committed to, those reasons why are so compelling that there's no other option for you than to do what you must do to make that outcome that you're committed to a reality. And the third step is affirm what you will do and win in order to achieve your outcome. So which specific actions will you take and when will you take them, right? It's not enough to affirm, this is what I'm committed to and this is why, but if you don't have clarity as to what you're gonna do to achieve that and win, then you're leaving it up to chance. But if you think about it, affirmations, people feel goofy going, I'm amazing, I'm this, I'm that. When you follow this formula, there's nothing woo-woo about it. There's nothing delusional. You're not lying to yourself. You're not promising yourself that things are magically going to improve. You are affirming what you're committed to, why it is absolutely crucial for you, and what you're going to do to ensure that you make that a reality, right? And so that to me is, an, is, is the miracle morning formula for affirmations that everybody can buy into and everyone can feel aligned with because they are practical and they are designed to produce the results that you want in your life. I love that, man. I love that. I want to come back to maybe one more part of the miracle morning, but you mentioned cancer by you. So let me interject. So for those that don't know how story, I mean, you were actually pronounced dead at one point that I believe you've just mentioned your battle with cancer, but I'd love to touch on just really quickly. You've had all these encounters with death. I mean, 
you know, yeah, I'm starting to wonder whether you're the Grim Reaper or not. What <laughs> have you learned about, um, you know, life itself from these battles with death? Yeah, thank you for that question. Uh, so, when, and just to, to, to sum it up, when I was 20 years old, I was driving home from uh, giving a speech at a, a conference and I was hit head on by a drunk driver at uh, 112 kilometers per hour. And, uh, and I was found dead at the scene. I broke 11 bones. Uh, I was, uh, my heart stopped beating for six minutes. I was in a coma for six days. I flatlined a total of three times. And when I came out of the coma, I was told I would never walk again. Um, the doctors, upon evaluating me that first week out of the coma, determined that I was delusional and in denial because I was so happy and grateful and positive and they didn't understand it. They came to find out, find out through a lot more evaluation that it was completely sincere, that I had made a decision that no matter what happened to me, that if I was in a wheelchair the rest of my life, I would be the happiest and most grateful person that you've ever seen in a wheelchair. Because I decided I'm in a wheelchair either way, I will never let my circumstances determine my emotional well-being. I will never let my outer world determine my inner world. I will choose how I experience life in every moment, no matter what is going on that is out of my control. And that is the most important lesson I've learned. That when something happens, whether it happens or it's happening in general, right now the world is a pretty crazy place and there's a lot going on by our governments around the world that is out of our control. And no matter how you feel about it, right? Many of us are, are suffering the consequences of that. And millions of people are out of work. Businesses have shut down. I mean, people are, I mean, on and on and on. And when you focus your energy on things you can't control, you feel out of control. And that develops anxiety and it develops depression. And we feel stressed, we get depressed. And what I've learned is that we have the ability, now very few of us exercise this ability, but when you're aware of it, you can't unhear what you hear, right? You can't unsee what you see. So I'm going to lay this out for you. We all have the ability to choose how we experience every moment and every aspect of our lives. So when I was in a car accident, I could have chosen to feel sorry for myself, to be a victim because I didn't deserve it. I was a good person. I didn't deserve to be hit by a drunk driver. I could have harbored hate and resentment toward the man who who almost took my life, who broke my bones. I could have chosen those things to be angry, depressed, scared, sad. That could have been the experience that I chose. But I felt like that, I didn't wanna live a life being depressed and angry and scared and sad. I decided I'm going to be the happiest, most grateful I've ever been. I'm going to feel no resentment toward the drunk driver because that doesn't serve me. It's not like he got in his car and said, tonight, I'm going to take out Hal Elrod. <laughs> no, he drank alcohol and got behind the wheel. Many people have done that. He just happened to cross the median and it hit me. I'm not saying you should drink and drive, of course, but why would I hate a person for making a mistake that had nothing to do, they, they, it wasn't personal to me. He made a mistake. If anything, I felt sorry for him because now, because of that mistake, he was in jail 
and his poor three-year-old son didn't have his dad at home and his wife didn't have a husband. I felt, I felt if anything, sorry for that family, not hateful toward the man that made the mistake. So the point is, I was at peace with my circumstances because I couldn't change them. And so the greatest lesson I learned and for all of us to live by is that you have the ability to choose how you experience every aspect of your life. You can choose to experience it with fear or with courage and faith, with anger or with empathy, with judgment or with understanding, right? And this is how you experience every circumstance in your life, as well as every person in your life. That annoying person, you could be annoyed or you can be empathetic, right? We choose how we experience life. And that is the ultimate freedom is to understand that you have that choice and to exercise it with intention and to live your life exactly as you choose, no matter what's going on around you. That was beautiful, man. I just want to ask you for uh, one more uh, part of the savers equation. So we've done S, we've done A. Could you give us one more? Could be any of the other ones. And then I'll link the guys to the Miracle Morning. And also, could you also tell us about the Miracle Morning movie? Congratulations. So could you uh, just give us one more and then tell us about the movie? Yeah, and, I'm, and we really only need one more because the only one that needs a lot of explanation is the V. Because exercise, you just do a little exercise in the morning. You know, reading, you read five pages, right? Scribing, which is journaling, just write down what you're great. Like, those are easy, right? Visualization is one that uh, kind of like affirmations, I feel like it's been really mistaught over the years by a lot of what I guess you'd call self-help gurus. So we've been taught that you visualize the ideal outcome, meaning, you know, whether it's creating a vision board, like a lot of people teach vision boards, where you put a bunch of pictures on a vision board of everything you want in your life, you know, ooh, that the mansion and the car and the how and the money, whatever, right? Then and the, and the, and the six pack abs, you put it on the vision board, then you stare at the vision board, like that's magically going to do something. Um, we're taught though, to visualize the end result. And here's the, there's, there's value to that, which I'll explain in a minute, but it could be more detrimental than helpful. And here's why. If all you do is visualize something coming true that you want in your life and you see it over and over and over and over and over again, you actually can delude yourself into thinking that it's going to happen independent of your effort. You go, man, I've seen it so many times in my, in my mind that I, I have, I just believe it's going to happen. Well, there is such a thing as a healthy sense of fear, right? Meaning like you're, you wake up and you got to have a little fear in your belly of like, if I don't work my, if I don't do something today, that thing's not going to happen. It's not just going to magically happen because I have it on the vision board. I have to actually do things to create the outcomes in my life. So that's the problem with only visualizing the ideal outcome is it can trick yourself into thinking it's going to happen independent of your effort. I'm going to share two steps to effective visualization. Number one is what I just talked against. Visualize the ideal outcome. Why? The benefit to doing it is you start to believe something that might in the beginning feel so far out of reach, so far removed from your current reality that you, you can't like the thought of it goes, man, I, I don't need, I don't even know where to, I don't even know where to start. That's such a, that's so far away. But when you visualize it every day and you do see that outcome, 
you start to acclimate to it as a real possibility. You start to feel like, you know what? I can see it. I can feel it. I think I could do it. But if you leave it at that, it becomes counterproductive. Now, where you then bring that into reality is the second step. Once you've spent, and by the way, it only takes like a minute, like a minute. When I was training for my ultra marathon, I would visualize myself crossing the finish line. That was the, the result, right? And I started to go from, I'm not a runner. I don't know how I'm going to do this to go. Yeah, I see it. I can do it. That's important. You've got to start to see it enough to where you feel it, it could be real for you. But the second step is by far the most important. And it's visualizing yourself engaged in the necessary activity that will get you to that result. In, visualize yourself engaged in that activity today and do so in an optimal emotional state. So visualize yourself engaged in the necessary activity in an optimal emotional state. So when I was training for that ultra marathon, I would close my eyes and I would literally visualize my phone alarm going off at 7 a.m. I'd visualize myself picking it up, turning it off, going in my bedroom closet, getting dressed in my running clothes, heading out the front door. And this was an important part of the visualization. I would see myself opening the front door, staring at the pavement, smiling. And I would say to myself, this is going to be a great run. Hal, you are becoming a runner. This, like I would get myself kind of pumped up during the visualization when I opened that front door to look at the sidewalk. And guess what happened? So Joe, that was my you can call visualization mental rehearsal. I mentally rehearsed the ideal state to go for a run that morning. And then guess what happened when the alarm went off on my phone at 7 a.m.? Normally, before the visualization practice, I would have gone, uh, maybe I could skip today. I would have just gone into, I hate running mode. But instead, I didn't, I didn't even think about it. I just turned off my phone just like I had rehearsed. I went into my bedroom closet, got dressed in my running shoes, headed to my front door, opened the front door, stared at the sidewalk, and you might be able to guess what happened. I was flooded with the thoughts and feelings. I'm going for a run. This is going to be great, right? And I would get excited to go on that run. And what happened was I went from hating running to within a matter of days, using that visualization practice, I was excited every day to run. I trained for five or six months, and I completed that double marathon, you know, on the day. Um, so that is how, and you can apply that to any area of your life using visualization to rehearse yourself performing optimally that day. And on the weekends, I visualize engaging with my wife with love and connection, engaging with my kids, playing, having a great time, being a, just a bundle of fun for them, right? Like I rehearse it and then I perform it and I live it throughout the day. I love it, man. Hal, my last question I've got for you today, and then please tell these guys, send them wherever you would like them to go, is yeah. what makes a life worth living? Ooh, that's a big one, right? Um, what makes a life worth living? I believe a life worth living is one where you live to your full potential, or I should say you strive to live to your full potential because the human potential is never realize it's you're never going to go well i can't get any better right <laughs> on your the day that you die you could learn something new right 
but it's, it's, it's living every day to me in alignment with who you need to be to be the best version of yourself and live your full potential. And then simultaneously to pay it forward and, and empower everyone that you can to do the same. And living to your full potential, by the way, that means being the healthiest you can be and the happiest you can be. And, the, you know, and living in alignment with your values and then helping other people do the same. And that for me is my life. My whole life is how do I live to my full potential in every way? And then how do I help as many people as I possibly can, beginning with my wife and children, my family, to do exactly the same? And if we all do that, right, then our life becomes brilliant and fulfilled. And so does every life that we touch. And if we all do that, the world becomes a very beautiful place to live. And then last but not least, to answer your question, where can people go? Uh, everybody right now, I'd say head over to MiracleMorningMovie.com. And if you are in the United States, you can watch it on Amazon. But if you're in the UK or anywhere in the world, if you go to MiracleMorningMovie.com, there's a link there to watch it on Vimeo, which is where it's available worldwide. And um, this movie is... Well, I mean, just go check out the description, check out the reviews, the comments. Like, um, it's been, people have said that this has been, this has been a movie that actually changes your life, not just entertains you uh, for, for a couple hours. And it's, it's got the world's, some of the world's most successful people. You see their morning routines, you learn the miracle morning, you see ordinary people changing their life, and you see me fighting for my life for 30 minutes on the screen uh, after I'm diagnosed with cancer and told I'm probably going to die and you see how I found a way to live. How brother, this was such a pleasure. I'm going to link everyone to everything which we've discussed today, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Joe, thank you, brother. I really, really, really appreciate you. And thank you for the work that you do. Well, guys, that wraps up a truly, truly fascinating conversation with Hal don't forget your savers. I hope that you guys are going to try this morning routine. It can be very powerful. Shoot us an email, freedompact.gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on this episode. Uh, guys, just before I shoot off, don't forget that this interview is on YouTube in video format, youtube.com forward slash freedompact. We have a healthy, wealthy and wise newsletter, which goes out once per week, every Monday. There's a link below for that. And guys, if you want to support the show, please consider leaving us a five-star iTunes review. It means the world to us. It helps us attract top quality guests. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And I will see you next week for a brand new episode.